right, Sulis, episode three. It's Lonzo, your conversation captain. I'm joined today by other hosts, Connor and Tyler. We are here today to discuss the Baxter bubble has been wrapped up. UND is exiting the bubble on top of the NCHC standings. Uh, as much as we're going to miss it, it's going to be back. It's going to be nice to have the boys back in the Ralph uh, with fans in the stands, whatever capacity that might be in. It is the holiday season right now. We are recording this on January 31st, the last day of 2020. Praise the Lord. Happy uh, Connor, Sue year. Connor happy and Sue I, year. Happy Sue year is right. I like that. Connor and I are in Grand Forks. Uh, we're back. Uh, we're part of the workforce. Tyler, how's it going? Uh, how are you spending your holiday season in Wisconsin? How's it going over there? Wisco's good, actually. Spent uh, Christmas just with the family. Everybody thinks I'm a degenerate alcoholic now because I, I drink a yep. lot and nobody in my family drinks anymore. So that's always a good feeling, but it's good to talk to you boys again. Going to talk about some soup puck. Going to get some world juniors in there. Yeah. Let's All see. Right, yeah. Hey, Sammy, Sammy, we got to talk about uh, your style in that alumni game over break. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, not much to be said about it. So uh, me and Connor played in the Jamestown High alumni game uh, just this last weekend. Uh, I knew my performance wasn't going to be there. I was pretty buckled when I stepped on the ice. So I figured, hey, if I'm going to make myself stand out, I'm not going to do it with my performance. Might as well do it with my style, right? So I went... Uh, I kind of regret not wearing a birdcage or a visor at all. Kind of went old school, tucked it back, uh, wanted it out of the way, threw some sunglasses on to hide uh, whatever effects people might be seeing through my eyes. So, you know, that it is what it is, but I was plus one on the night. I know where to be on the ice, and I think I displayed that in the game, don't you think? Yeah, I think so too. I mean, it was nice to go out and take a win, but uh, just seeing you be a clown out there was funny. You didn't even want to even go in a corner, so... All right, you know what, let's just hop into talking about UND's first 10 games so far. So all 10 of their games, as we know, have been played in the Baxter bubble. They're leading the NCHC right now, the Penrose Cup chase. Their top performers on the team right now, Shane Pinto and Jordan Kawaguchi, each have 13 points. Uh, JBD is anchoring the blue line, uh, along with Kierstead. JBD leads the team with a plus eight, uh, plus minus. Kierstead leads defenseman in points with nine points. Uh, so I'm going to send this over to Tyler. Tyler, what have your impressions been of the team so far, and uh, who have you been impressed by? Well, leaving the Baxter bubble, 7-2-1, leading the NCHC in points is obviously was a goal. You want to leave the bubble, number one. Right now, if you get Kawaguchi and Pinto and Gaber, um, those are probably one, two, three on on the team right now. Pinto, when he gets a puck on his stick, the way he controls the puck and the way he moves, he's like – unstoppable really and him and Gooch and um you throw Kirsten in those overtimes it you saw it against Denver and you saw it against Duluth it's it's really unfair when you get those guys out on the line going forward again leaving the bubble 7-2-1 leading the HC points they're supposed to be playing Omaha tonight in a two-game series which got canceled I kind of want to talk about that here so it looks like Omaha got out of the bubble probably partied a little too hard maybe went to a bar or two ended up getting COVID that's all right you expect that. I like to see, I had some inside info that uh, Brad Barry actually rented the boys a, uh, a rental house down in Arizona, sent the boys down there to let loose for a couple days. Um, love to see that. Keep the boys together. Don't, don't let them get too wild um, yeah. or let them loosen up, but got to keep them away from the cocoa. We got to stay clean through the season. We can't let any thing get in the way of what is a special We're team. We're not going to out. We're not going to out your source on that, but that does sound interesting. Uh, the boys have to stay away from COVID, which is a concern. Omaha, I mean, they're probably the biggest they've been on campus in forever, right? Nobody probably usually cares about that program on campus except when they're hosting, uh, 
you know, a bubble type uh, atmosphere like they had. But anyway, let's keep it on the ice right now. Connor, what have your thoughts been about UND's team and what do you think about uh, them going into the second half here? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely definitely a banner year for the boys. So they got to be got to stay safe away from that cocoa, stay away from the COVID, which is going to be tough for them. But I think they'll they'll get it done. But uh, I like Ethan Frisch on the ice. Obviously, he had a couple couple games when he was out with an injury. But uh, man, has he stepped up. He's got a rocket for a shot. He's making plays. He's good in the D zone, brushing the puck up the ice. I like him. And then Gavin Hain too. That guy looked awesome. He's scoring in clutch moments and, and getting on that score sheet. So I like that a lot. But I think that uh, coming into the second half, obviously the games this weekend got canceled. It was almost a blessing in disguise because the next games that UND plays are going to be next weekend here at home against Omaha, hopefully. And we're going to have Clevin and Sanderson back from the World Junior, which we'll get into a little bit later on in the episode. But getting those two guys back, I mean, this team is scary. This team is scary, especially yeah, on the you, back end. You mentioned Hain Train. Uh, I had him on my list as people who have been impressing uh, the Hain Train. That's another great nickname we have on this team. Uh, but as you said, yeah, uh, I remember listening to Tim Hennessy that last game in the bubble. Who were they playing? Miami. And uh, Hennessy was like, God, these, we just do not want to play. Apparently Brad Barry was trying to convince the conference and all these teams were trying to convince the conference. Hey, we don't want to play new year's Eve weekend. Right. We like, we just want a good break. Let's have a good holiday break. Let our players get a rest, maybe see some family. Uh, they're probably not physically seeing them, you know, to try to stay away from COVID-19. But I think the break, like you said, it's a blessing in disguise. It's going to be great to get Sanderson and Clevin back. I mean, they added a dynamic. I mean, UND's team right now is very short-staffed. Uh, I mean, we're dressing every possible pe- every possible player we can start right now. So it'll be nice to have some depth back, and uh, hopefully guys like Frisch and Judd Caulfield can get 100% healthy, and we can rely on them from shift to shift. Uh, and Harry Blaisdell. Yeah, and Harry Blydesdale. So let's talk about the goalies a little bit. So I have some stats here. Shield right now has a 2.13 goals against average with a 9.13 save percentage. Tomei, 3.22, 3.22 goals against average, and then 8.61 uh, save percentage. I think it's safe to say that Shield is the guy. Would you agree with that statement, Tyler? Yeah, that's all there is to it. Shield's number one, Tomei's number two. End of statement. Yeah. End of statement. Shield's one, Tomei's two. Yeah, yeah, I think that's all that really needs to be said about that. I mean, I, I just feel more comf- comfortable with Sheila in that. He's kind of got some Twitter clout recently. Uh, this one guy, I forget what the page called, was said this is the best goalie gear I've seen in 2020. He just looks icy out there, the facial hair, the feathers on the helmet. Mm-hmm. a he's a great UND goalie. I think Tate Maris would agree with that, kind of our goalie correspondent on the podcast, that uh, he's the best goalie we've had in a long time and we feel comfortable with him back there. Uh, Harrison Feeney has also got an action. He, uh, he has like three shots against and a 100 save percentage, you know, obviously a zero goals against. But yeah, you know, I would agree nice. with, uh, like, like you said, Shield's number one, Tommy's number two. But we did see last year, Shield after Christmas, did kind of fall off. Tommy came in, filled that role, and did it seamlessly. Like you couldn't tell a difference in net between the two. So if that happens again, if Shield kind of gets fatigued or – whatever I do feel confident with Tommy going in and filling that role and playing just as well. Definitely. And that's huge to think about. Like we're a stud team. We got sick defensemen, sick forwards, scoring Pinto, Kawaguchi, all that kind of thing. But then we also just have two great goalies that either one can play on any given night. And I'm fairly confident we're going to beat the other team on the other side of the ice. All right, boys. I think that, uh, that might do it for you. And I got one stat. I got talk. one stat here. I got Let's one hear it. stat here. Let's hear it. Saber metric. So, we so right now it goes number one in the nation is the Gophers, then BC, then UND. UND's number three. The last team 
in the last 10 years to go mid-season number one, win the national championship with, was North Dakota in 2016. Other than that, no other team has done it in 10 years. So I do feel good. I was thinking about what Fuchsy said last episode when it's not that big of a deal if they aren't number one, which, I mean, it is cool if they're number one, but it's not that big of a deal. I do like where they're at. Did a little bit of research, and I think that um, the Gophers playing, you could consider it the Big 12 of college hockey. <laughs> kind of a joke defensive-wise, even though they do have three defensemen playing at the World Juniors, but yeah. I like where they're at right now in the midseason. Yeah, so just kind of going off that, I mean, uh, let's take a look at uh, talking about standings. Let's keep an eye on the NCHC here. So I'm just kind of I'm going to rattle off what the st- where the standings sit as of right now. And then for all the Sulis out there, they know that we release a weekly uh, at Sulite NCHC power ranking. So I'm going to read out the standings and then I'm going to do my own power rankings and you guys let me know what you think. Okay. So first of all, standings, I'm going to go from uh, top to bottom here. UND is leading the pack. Uh, They have 20 points and then Omaha sitting in second there in NCHC surprise of the season. They're playing better than expected. Really good. They have 19 points, Duluth 18, St. Cloud also 18. And then it drops off to what I'm going to call the middle tier between Denver and Colorado College. They play uh, New Year's Eve night in the Gold Pan rivalry on CBS Sports Network. That should be fun to watch. 12 and 11. And then uh, Miami and Western Michigan are tied for the bottom with eight points. So that kind of correlates to my uh, Sulite NCHC power rankings here. This is how I have it here. Uh, So I go UND at number one. I think uh, them leading the pack uh, with a shorthanded roster, there's something to be said about that. I think there's uh, they're the best team in the conference. And even when they don't have some of their best defensemen, but when they get them back, I think it will be next question. And then number two, I have the Bulldogs. I mean, they're a tough out, tough team to beat. Uh, That fancy has really stepped in and taken Shepard's place to the point where people are like, geez, I completely forgot that we had an all American goaltender. Uh, three, I have Omaha. I really like how they're playing. The player that surprised me the most is Martin Sundberg out of Sweden. He's really fun to watch. He's making plays all over the ice anytime you're watching him. Number four, I have the St. Clown State Husky women. Uh, they're really good, fast, physical, uh, fun team to watch. Five is Denver. I think, uh, you know, kind of Brad Schlossman. I heard him on his uh, College Hockey Today podcast. He, they remind him of the UND team from a couple of years ago, you know, where they kind of dominate every game they play in terms of shots on net wise, but they just find a way to lose every game. So it's kind of going to be interesting to see whether they can turn it around because they definitely have the talent to do so. And then at six, uh, Sioux Light's second favorite team in the NCHC, we have Colorado College. Uh, they, they've played less games than other teams, but they also managed to be ahead of other teams in the standings. So they're kind of doing well with what they have. Mike Havland is starting to put things together. They have a nice young blue, blue line. So I really like what's going on down in Colorado Springs. While we're on the topic of Colorado College, let's not forget to mention the guests on this episode. Yeah, yeah, that's right. West Mashad, uh, he's, he's definitely going to love to hear the Colorado College love. And then uh, just to finish off the seller of the NCHC, I have Western and Miami. Uh, Western started off really slow, but they're well-coached teams. So they're kind of turning it around, uh, not necessarily an easy defeat. Uh, no team is in this conference. And then Miami at eight. So that's where I have it. Uh, before we get into my Baxter bubble, uh, all Baxter bubble team, what do you guys think? And uh, who are you guys afraid of in the conference right now? Uh, let's start with Connor. Uh, I think that we could give Western a little bit of love. They did have that slow start and they're pretty bad. The, their top goalie went down. Sounds like he's going to be out for most of the year, I believe, which sucks for them because he's sick. But uh, I think we could give Western a little bit more love, maybe put them ahead of CC, maybe put them around Denver. They did beat Denver. 
and I believe that they also beat CC as well. So I think that uh, in the second half, I wouldn't be surprised to see them kind of charge up, maybe take a six, five, maybe a four spot in the conference. Hot take. Mm. Tyler, what do you think? Do you think that's an accurate assessment? My standings? I think it's fair. I think your assessment's fair. I do like after Christmas, you know, the NCHC then is just split West and East. So UND playing CC and they're playing Denver and they're playing Omaha is really their only games. And Denver, I think, is going to be tough to be. They always are. That Carter Savoy, as you can see, is going to be good for a long time. I think his shot's ridiculous. He's faster than everybody on the ice. But Miami, I don't know why. I just have a soft spot for Miami that their goalie, Ludwig Peterson, I mean, he can win games by himself. You saw it when Miami shut out Duluth, or Denver that one game. And uh, I think that they can, I think that he's going to be the best goalie. He, if we just want to get into the all NCHC bubble, he's my pick for goalie in the NCHC bubble. That's, that's great. That's a perfect transition. Uh, you guys chose to highlight the teams uh, seven and eight, which is odd, but uh, yeah, let's just go into the Baxter bubble, uh, all Baxter bubble team. Uh, so let's start off with the forwards. This is how I see it. You guys can point out uh, who I missed out on and make general comments about it after. But uh, for forwards, it's tough not to put uh, Shane Pinto in there. I think he's the MVP of the Baxter bubble. I uh, think any uh, analyst would agree with that assessment. And then also on that list, I'm going to put Nick Sweeney from Duluth. He's a stud. He's the heart and soul of that team. And then I'm going to finish out the forward group with uh, Ethan Frank from Western Michigan. He's kind of the reason that they, uh, they're they putting goals up, and he's the, kind of the only player I notice on the ice when I watch them. He's a really good forward. So you miss Savoy then? I miss Savoy. I did miss Savoy. He'd be on my all-rookie team if I were to put that together. He'd be on my all-rookie team. But uh, defenseman, I'm going to go ahead and put uh, Matt Kierstead up there just because the amount of points he's putting up. Uh, Him and JBD are both very equal. I'm not going to go to UND defenseman. So the other blue liner, I'm going to go with Nick Perbix at St. Cloud State. Uh, I really like how he plays. He's kind of, uh, you don't really notice him a whole lot on the ice, which is what you want with a defenseman. You don't want to notice him at all, and that's a good thing. And then goalie, uh, you mentioned uh, Peterson out of Miami. Um, he splits time with uh, Ben Cross over there down in uh, Kennedy Ice Arena. But I'm, I'm going to go with Isaiah Seville, my uh, preseason all-conference team. Omaha's doing great. He kind of split the net with another guy who was able to do well. But Seville, whenever you watch him, I mean, uh, he's the reason that they're in a lot of these games and he's doing really well. I'm going to start with Connor. What do you think about that list? And uh, maybe throw out some names that you think I might have missed out on. No, I'm drawing a blank on his name. Who's that guy from CC that we really like? That we've been Grant, watching? Grant Khrushchenk. Yeah, that kid. I like him quite a bit. I, I don't know if you'd put him in the top three in the conference, but I think he had a great bubble. And then uh, for defensemen, I'm going to throw Ronnie Attard in there. I've kind of been pumping the tires of Western Michigan in this podcast, and I'll continue to do it. But uh, he's the only drafted player on Western Michigan's roster, I believe. And he's a sick defenseman. One hiccup when Clevin put his jock strap in the ceiling. But uh, other than that, he's, he was great. One, one of those defensemen, like you said, you don't even really notice him, but he's just out there. He's just doing his thing. And then I agree with Seville for goalie. He was unbelievable i think that's why omaha's where they're at is just because they're goaltending tyler uh you already mentioned savoy was a name i missed out on is there yeah. any other glaring holes well i i like savoy i had savoy pinto and uh were the obviously the forwards there and i threw gooch in there just because he is leading the nchc points right now but again yeah. a little UND point bias. per game yeah a little und bias there and then i also liked uh, jbd over kirstead just 
purely on defensive ability. Kyrgyzstan's a little more offensive defenseman. He kind of pushes the puck up a little more. JBD, like, there's nobody gets by him. It seems like his stick's, like, seven feet long. Nobody gets by him. And then I also mentioned Ludwig Peterson from Miami as a goalie that I really like in the NCHC. I also like Ryan Fancy. We touched on him earlier from Duluth. I mean, who would have – I thought we're done with Hunter Shepard. He's done. Now Duluth is going to have a – like an average goalie at best in that turns out Ryan Fantis is going to all American stud NHL goalie again. So it is what it is. He wins games. That's what you look for in a goalie in this league is a goalie that can steal games for you. Um, that's all I got for the NCHC team. I would have liked to see world junior. We're going to talk about the world juniors here in a second, but uh, I would have loved to see um, Sanderson get more time in the bubble and just see what he could do. He only played three games. Didn't notice him a whole lot out there, I guess, which is good for a defenseman. But um, still, I three think, points. I think he's going to be a stud. I think obviously. So Sanderson and Clevin coming back. So if we want to jump into the World Juniors right now, that's a great transition. That's a great transition. So there's two UND players, as we've mentioned multiple times, playing in the World Juniors, and then uh, Denver also has a representative on Team USA, Bobby Orr Brink. And then uh, Western Michigan has a guy who plays uh, for Team Switzerland. I, uh, his name is blanking me. But it's been an interesting tournament so far. Uh, USA is currently 2-1. and one. Uh, They play tonight against Sweden. They have dummied Austria and uh, the Czech Republic. They lost a heartbreaker to Russia on the opening night, Christmas night. I tweeted out Christmas night, call me a communist. I really like Russia's hockey uniforms. Is that kind of uh, sacrilegious to say or what, Tyler? Fuck the Russians. I hate everything. <laughs> they play such a beautiful style of hockey. They really just run around the ice, and their, their hockey is like basket weaving. It's just beautiful, and I just fucking hate the Russians. So, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, but uh, in terms of Team USA, I'm just going to highlight a few players that I, uh, I really like watching. They're really a pleasure for me to watch. Uh, so I've met, I mentioned it before, Bobby Orbrink. Uh, you have to say his entire name. His literal name is Orr. It goes Bobby or Brink. He plays for Denver, but we can root for him when he throws on a USA sweater. He's a smaller guy, but he gets in the gritty areas. He gets in the paint and he gets the job done. He's able to finish in those greasy areas. I really like Bobby or Brink. Another guy, I think the most talented player on the team is probably Trevor Zegris. I mean, he, mm. it looks like he has the puck on a string when he's stick handling and um, going through the zone. Nobody can really touch him. He has a rifle of a shot. I think he leads the team right now in points. Uh, a player who I do not like, I would like to challenge to an Oklahoma drill, Cole Caulfield. I think he is a bust. Uh, he's overrated. Uh, he's a pretty boy. I would love the Oklahoma Cole Caulfield. Who, what do you guys think in terms of how think, that matchup would go? I think Cole Caulfield would dummy you. We've already seen that happen before. Okay. A not-athletic Willie Meyer. I do <laughs> like – we watched Cole Caulfield at the World Juniors last year, and he was definitely not great. He definitely was kind of – batting outside his league and but this year he looks a lot better he yeah. he's actually getting to the gritty areas he's winning battles when he skates with the puck through the neutral zone and into the offensive zone he's skating by dudes like they're cones and he just looks so good the game tonight against switzerland so we're or sweden, sweden. sorry yeah we're recording right now on new year's eve before they play sweden it is a huge game if they get a i just wrote this here if usa wins in regulation plays first in group b followed by Russia and Sweden. If they get an OT win tonight, uh, go Russia, U.S., then Sweden. And if they have a loss of any kind, then it'll be Sweden, Russia, USA. So they could go either first leaving their group or all the way down to third leaving their group. 
um, game. It's a huge game. We don't want to play the Canadians in the in the quarterfinals or the semifinals. We want to meet them in the gold medal game, get the battle in North America going for the gold medal game. And I think this team is good enough. Obviously, Spencer Knight, big letdown against Russia. I'd like to see the Russians again in the semifinals and stop those commie bastards. But um, <laughs> tonight, Clevin is dressing. I don't know if you guys saw that. Clevin is dressing yeah. tonight. They're dressing eight D-men. It'll be interesting to see what extent he's used because eight demons a lot. I wonder if they'll, if they'll even end up putting him at a forward. Um, the way that dude skates and the way he can move the puck, I wouldn't imagine. Like I could imagine, I could see him playing wing. Um, what do you think, Fusey? Uh First, I would like to say, Tyler, you are absolutely firing right now. You're firing all on all cylinders, all cylinders. <laughs> it's awesome. But uh, I, uh, I mentioned this to, to Lonzo in the apartment, but it was kind of a hot take going back to the U.S.-Russia game where the U.S. definitely played a little bit slow and wasn't doing well. But uh, the coach for Russia is Igor Larionov. Yeah. Right? So my thought is I wonder Fucking if, I wonder if Igor Larionov has a little bit of unfinished business from about, what is it, 40 years ago now? that he can't get over from Lake Placid and maybe he did a herb speech in the locker room, but it was in Russian. So none of those guys had heard it before and it got them all fired up. But then my, my take on that is that the hockey gods obviously humble everybody. And just because he used that herb speech or maybe whatever he did in the locker room, that's why they went and lost to the Czechs who the U S beat seven to nothing, which was a complete embarrassing loss for Russia, which uh, was huge for the U S because it keeps us in us. But uh, the one player that I like watching, and Sam mentioned him too, is Trevor Zegras. That guy is disgusting. With what he can do, like making plays, like he does, it doesn't even look like he tries. He's just out there whipping circles, putting people's like jock straps in the ceiling, waving. He did like the "Are you not entertained?" celebration after one goal. Like the guy is unreal. I think he's a Ducks prospect, if I'm not wrong. He's and, a Ducks camp right now. He has. Yeah, he's played. a Ducks camp. Yeah, he's a BU alum. Uh, he, he signed with the Ducks. He, did he, hasn't played a, he hasn't played a hockey game in seven months. <laughs> well, now he's just ripping up the world junior, which yeah. is awesome. And then another thing I would like to mention, um, uh, I'm kind of down bad the last week as my beloved Blackhawks have taken a couple spills. Uh, we saw Kirby Doc. If anybody's seen his wrist on social media, that is probably the most disgusting thing I've ever I've ever seen. So he's going to be out four to five months. And then another thing we need to touch on is uh, – a Sioux hockey alum, Jonathan Taves, said he's feeling drained and lethargic, so he's going to be out indefinitely, and we wish him the best. But uh, um, I, I really need the U.S. to win tonight because I really don't want to play the Canadians before the gold medal game, not to mention that the U.S.-Canada gold medal game is probably the best hockey that you can see all year, regardless of what level it is. So. Yeah, with, with Kirby Doc going down, that opens up the field. That made it wide open, really, for anybody. And obviously, the Canadians, Canadians are still a favorite in this tournament. But they Kirby still Doc have going 20, down. They still have 20 first-round picks. Yeah. They're, they're and sick. <laughs> they, they are sick, and they're still a favorite. But with Kirby Doc going down, like that, obviously, it sucks for him, and it sucks for the Blackhawks, sucks for the Canadians. But for the Americans and the Russians and the Swedish, like, now it's wide open. Anybody can beat anybody. You saw uh, the Canadians played a close one against who was at Germany. They played a close one, and um, that wasn't yeah, close. I, that was like sixteen to two. Yeah, who who they play that. close? I don't know who they played close, but uh, I think that is wide open. I would love to see the Americans end up getting in the gold medal game. Canadians. Yeah, yeah, this I would is, agree. I mean, that uh, your memory is definitely eluding you in that uh, Canada. Yeah. Let me look it up here. But in terms of uh, the World Juniors as a whole, I'm just going to 
kind of wrap it up as you try to find that score. Uh, it's very fun for college hockey fans to watch. We were talking about Russia earlier. They have some college hockey players on their team for the first time in forever. Uh, some UConn, I think they both play for UConn. One of them's name is Jan Kuznetsov. Uh, you know, uh, Canada has some college hockey players on their team. They usually do, but mostly it's majority uh, major junior guys. Obviously, USA has a major influence. Tyler, uh, you just found it. What I found find? it. Yeah, they beat Slovakia 3-1. to one, mm-hmm. And uh, Germany ended up beating Slovakia 7 nothing later in the tournament. So I'm just saying, I mean, the, Canada's beatable. They're not, they're not unbeatable here. Yeah, especially with Kirby Dock going out, I would agree that really opens up the field. Uh, he was the captain of their team, so that has to be a blow to morale. Uh, I'm not a fan of Canada, so it doesn't disappoint me. Obviously, I feel for Kirby. I feel for the Blackhawks, but uh, I, I don't feel for Canada. I, I don't nope. care about them at all. But uh, let's move into our last segment before we go into Weston Mashad here. Uh, we're going to talk a little pro hockey. So each of us was informed to come in with our uh, way too early prediction to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, Connor, can you give us an update? Because my memory is also eluding me here. When does the NHL, NHL season start? And then can you maybe start us, start us off with your pick? Yeah, so the, I believe it's like January 13th coming up soon, right? Obviously, um, the they're splitting up the divisions, so that'll be a lot of fun. All Canadian teams playing each other. We'll get to see the Battle of Alberta 10 times, which is going to be an absolute bloodbath. And then on top of that, the Blackhawks and the Red Wings are back in the same division now. They're going to play nine times this year, which is huge for hockey because that's one of the best rivalries out there, especially after the split. I think when the Knights came in, they split up the conferences and they get, those guys haven't played that much anymore. But it should be a really fun year just watching these teams go to war against each other nine, ten times. It'll be a lot of fun. But I think my way too early prediction is I'm going to pick the Washington Capitals. I, I think obviously they have two of the best players in the world and have and not, oh, not, oh, I almost messed up there, but in Ovechkin, um, and uh, John Carlson on the back end. They just added Zidane Chara, which has got to be the craziest free agent signing of, of the NHL this year. So, I mean, they have a team that can win. Obviously, our favorite player on that team is TJ Oshie. And I, I have a strong feeling that we're going to see TJ Oshie chugging Jersey beers in June, July, whenever the Stanley Cup comes out. And then hopefully he'll bring it back up to Grand Forks and we can maybe see it at Junie's, Judy's again. I would love to see the cup at Judy's. Uh, that Chara signing was unbelievable. The Capitals winning it. They'd won it in recent memory here, but to see them win it again would be interesting. I think Ovi might even retire after something like that. Maybe he's chasing the record. I don't know. Tyler, you're a big futures guy. What did you put your money down for an NHL futures bet this year? Um, I have not made my future bet yet. I'm waiting for the line on Toronto to move a little bit more in my favor, but I do like the Maple Leafs to win the Stanley cup this year. Obviously futures. I like free money. So go with Toronto. And then another pick I like, I like, um, Colorado. I like, uh, Toronto, Colorado in the Stanley cup final. That'd be a great game. Kind of young talent with McKinnon and, uh, Austin Matthews going at it. I think the addition of Joe Thornton for the Maple Leafs. They tried it with Patrick Marlowe. Patrick Marlowe is, they thought he was going to bring some veteran presence to the locker room. He didn't. He's more of kind of a soft-spoken guy, Joe Thornton, as we've all heard some stories about that guy. He's an absolute legend in the locker room. And I think that the Maple Leafs are going to be able to get it done this year. Wow. Yeah, you've been on the Maple Leafs wagon for a while. Uh, They have Dave Haxtell up there. He's still uh, on the staff up there. So a little UND connection up in Toronto. 
Speaking of UND connection, I'm going to ride that into my uh, pick to win the Stanley Cup. Uh, down in the desert, I believe they're about one player away from putting together a championship line, at least. They have, let's see, they have the C and they have the S. Uh, they're missing one player who is currently uh, wandering around up in Vancouver right now. Uh, they're, they're one player away. They signed Drake Kajula this offseason, so they have Nick Schmaltz, Drake Kajula, now, if they get Brock Besser, they would reunite the CBS line. And uh, I, I don't know. That might be a little biased. I like Darcy Kemper a lot. I like Oliver ekman Larson. I think Phil the Thrill Kessel is one of the funnest players to watch in the league. It's hilarious. He's kind of like the big Ben of the NHL. But, uh, yeah, give me the Coyotes. And Jordan Schmaltz also just signed there, you know. So people are – a lot of UND alumni are just itching to get down to the desert. And I'll tell you what, so am I. Well, you need a championship four lines. You don't just need a championship one line to win a Stanley Cup. And the Coyotes are, and if you're placing a future, I like the price on the Coyotes. But as your pick, eh, Scouts and Admit, Admittedly, I am more of a, you know, a college hockey correspondent, uh, more so than I am an NHL guy. I, w- I am ready to admit that. But I like the Yotes. Out of the East, I like the Islanders. Okay. Uh, Matt Barzell, he's close personal friends with Gabe Bast. We can see that through social media. I think that's, we're kind of trying to manufacture a UND connection there. We also have Brock Nelson, who is a former UND player. He's probably the best player on that team outside of Barzell. But yeah, I think that's going to be the Stanley Cup final. And uh, that would be something. Coyotes, Islanders, why not, right? Should we throw it over to Weston? What about Vancouver though? What about Vancouver? Vancouver might be nasty this year. Vancouver is nice. I liked them a lot last year. I think they lost to who Colorado in the playoffs last year, yeah. the Western Conference semifinals. Stetcher uh, left to the Red Wings, but uh, yeah, they still they had Lesser and Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and Holtby. And Holtby. Yeah. yeah, and Holtby. They got him. They have that uh, guy from Northeastern, uh, Adam Godet. Uh, they're a good team. They have a lot of college hockey influence on that team, so they're fun to watch. But, uh, Tyler, you kind of beat me to it. I think we're going to throw it over to a very fun guest. We enjoyed having him on. Ladies and gentlemen, Weston Mashad. All right, Sue Light, we have a very special guest on right here. It's our first in-person interview in the history of Sue Light. We welcome on to the program right now, a son of Cloquet, Minnesota, an NHL legend. He played at Corpus Christi where he then went on to play college at uh, Colorado College, and then he went to UND, hence why he's on the program. Uh, he is signed with the Winnipeg Jets pro organization. Please welcome to the program, Weston Mashad. Thanks for coming on. Hey guys, thanks for having me. Yeah, no, it's great to have you on. I guess uh, before we hop into your college career as a whole, I guess uh, all the fans really want to know what it's like to um, uh, what it's like entering your pro career in the global pandemic right now. It's very uncertain times, and it's definitely different for everybody entering their pro career right now. Just walk us through what it's like entering your pro career right now uh, during such difficult times. Well, guys, first off, I would just like to thank you all for uh, having me on here. It's a pleasure meeting you guys here this school year. Uh, that's what makes uh, North Dakota so special is the personalities uh, just from everyone around this college environment. Uh, but starting off here, I think first and foremost is uh, COVID uh, has been an issue with everyone. Uh, as you could tell last year, we had an absolute wagon of a team in, uh, with our North Dakota team. And uh, number one in the nation, I knew we were going to win it all if we continued on. And I will vouch for this day that uh, whoever is against that, uh, I would love to get in a nice little argument with. So I think that'd be pretty cool. But 
Anyways, uh, COVID going into the first pro season, I believe there's going to be no fans. The environment's going to be different. So you're just going to have to make uh, noise by yourself, basically, right? So you and your teammates are going to have to get up for each other, uh, celebrate the little things, and eventually, uh, you know, put wins on the board. So I think it's that everyday mentality that you have to look at and focus directly on what's at hand every single day. So. Yeah, no, obviously, um, uh, the UND Hockey Nation's uh, very excited to see you start your pro career, and the delay to it is uh, kind of frustrating for everybody. I mean, we're all excited to watch college hockey. I mean, uh, pro hockey, watch you enter your pro career and start watching NHL. Uh, we have the NCHC, obviously, on to kind of hold us over until that happens. But uh, right now, we kind of want to just get into your career as a whole. So uh, I'm going to send this over to Fuchs here. Uh, he's kind of an NA3 legend, kind of the little brother league of uh, the NAHL. So I'm going to let him ask you a question about what it was like playing in the NAHL in Corpus Christi. Yeah. So obviously I, it's, it's well known that that South division in the NHL is usually notoriously the better division in the league. Uh, I just want to know what it was like kind of playing junior hockey in Texas. That's not your conventional hockey market. And then playing you're on the road, playing in places like Shreveport. And I don't know if New Mexico had a team when you were there as well, but they do now. And, and kind of just playing in those unconventional markets and, and talk about that a little bit. Corpus Christi, what a time. Uh, one of my favorite times, if I had to look back to anything in my life, one thing it would be is go back to Corpus Christi. Uh, the best builds in the league I had, and uh, I'm very thankful to um, have that opportunity to be with them. And just from that, you know, first off, I was a young 17-year-old kid uh, turning 18 and 19 years old um, at my time in Corpus Christi. And I thought I knew it all at the beginning, you know, I, there was a skilled player coming out of high school and all of a sudden making that jump at a young age and getting scratched my first year for months on hand, it was very difficult to me. And to finally realize what it takes to be an everyday or, and, you know, attack the day with that type of mentality is what was eye opening to me. So, you know, I was, I think, uh, coming from a small town of Cloquet, Minnesota, it was very different because we were the big dogs on campus, as you could say, uh, when it comes to that hockey environment. So uh, coming from that football environment, it was pretty cool to interlink with all those different characteristics uh, that it, that environment uh, had at hand. So, But Corpus Christi in total, uh, pretty cool place. I mean, what we're coming down to is the beach life. So basically, we're skating and practicing and uh, working out at 10 to 1. And then right after that, guess where we're going? We're going to hang out at the beach, right? So if that had to go deep sea fishing, you know, having bonfires on the beach, you could drive the cars right up and soak up the sun for hours at hand. I mean, it barely was uh, raining at all. So I think that was the best part about Corbs Christie. And then we always got these little player ID cards where, you know, we would have about 15 different restaurants we could go to and we'd have like 50% off. And it was just amazing to support all the local businesses while, you know, representing uh, Corpus Christi Ice Rays. So we got about 6,000 uh, fans right around that average was uh, for especially night games and right around the average of 2,500 to 3,000 per game. And it was a really cool environment to play in. A lot of fans absolutely uh, loved seeing hockey watching hockey they didn't know much about it which is awesome but end of the day is that they love the fighting so that's what uh, drew everyone in 
Yeah, you had a very illustrious career yeah, at Corpus Christi. Uh, just looking at your stats right now, you had 22, and then you kind of blew up your second year there. You had 73 points, so that must have garnered some uh, college hockey attention. Obviously, you went to Colorado College. So our question is, what was the recruiting process like? What other offers did you have out of Corpus Christi? And uh, just walk us through that recruiting process. The recruiting process was different. Um, I think uh, being way out in Texas, it was difficult because a lot of scouts uh, weren't able to attend most games. Uh, so they'd be watching on a platform of technology that is not up to date where the standards are now. Uh, with the amount of resources scouts have now and coaches have, it's completely different than it was uh, six, seven years ago. So personally that adventure was entertaining because I had no offers at all coming out of my first year in Corpus Christi. Like, again, like I'm, like I'm saying, uh, my first year was tough. It was difficult. I was, came in overweight. I thought I knew it all. Uh, and finally something clicked in my head and Hey, you got to work harder. You got to get better. There's a lot of better players out there in the world. And if you want to make it in life, uh, you're going to have to work your tail off every single day and listen to the educated people when it comes to workouts, skating, uh, just training in general. So that was very eye-opening to me. And as a person, I look back at it now and it was probably the most pivotal moment in my life is just figuring that out at that stage. Yeah. So uh, playing at CC right here in Colorado Springs, kind of a smaller um, private university, right? That has a, that, you know, traditionally has a powerhouse of a college hockey program. What was it like, you know, playing four years at Colorado College and kind of growing into that role as a, you know, a number one player there? And then obviously entering the transfer portal, which we'll get to a little bit later. But I mean, Colorado Springs, like I said, smaller school. How, how was your experience there in general? Well, I loved it. Uh, the environment was awesome. Uh, first off, uh, the school is a great school to get a degree in and find connections. So they offer a very unique block plan. It's called to take one class every three and a half weeks for, for four blocks a semester. And then those blocks accumulate over for two semesters of eight blocks. So basically what you're doing is you're taking one class every day for two and a half hours. And then you're learning a, a whole semester's coursework in that three and a half weeks. So basically what I explain to people is Colorado College uh, was a very difficult school, but you really had to adapt on the fly and learn to manage um, schoolwork, hockey, and life in general. So I think the unique opportunity that CC presents is different compared to everywhere else, but it's very difficult from a student-athlete perspective. Yeah, Colorado College, uh, definitely the school. I have a cousin that went there. I'm sitting here interviewing you with a Tiger jersey on right now. I'm a big fan of the program. I have an uncle who lives in Colorado Springs. Could you just tell us a little bit about the hockey playing experience, more specifically about the rivalries that you encountered, uh, the Gold Pan rivalry? It's one of the best uh, rivalries in college hockey. Could you just tell us about what that atmosphere was like when you guys were playing the Pioneers? Great, great, great rivalry. I mean, it's, I would say it's top three in the entire of all, entirety of college hockey is what I would say. It's awesome. I mean, the, the game day environment is unbelievable just because both schools are just uh, – uh, jabbing at each other on Twitter before you got alums sending text calls and everything like that to former players and current players now with the rivalry and my time there it was the first two years is they kind of beat up on us a little bit and finally uh, our senior year we beat them 
and they were top five in the nation all year. So it was a really special moment for our senior group. But beforehand, before the games would start, uh, you would see all these different messages and things like that through social media. And then also we'd have the tiger, which is located on campus, dressed up in, it's like a big plaque, right? The big mascot. Uh, the mascot is dressed up in an abundance of different things. And they dress it up with a hockey jersey. Um, they could do, you know, other sports or um, other um, extracurricular activities by dressing up this mascot. So that was a really special thing for us. And it just the vibes were just really high. And I mean, it's one of those moments where if you can't get up for that environment, then, you know, <laughs> why play hockey? Yeah, you definitely, uh, it's one of those rivalries where if you can't get up for it, you definitely got to check your pulse, right? Um, uh, it's definitely, uh, as you said, a top three rivalry. I was looking at your time at uh, Colorado College, and I kind of made some notes of some of the notable teammates you had there. And some of the guys I made note of were Mason Berg and Eden Prairie, fellow uh, Minnesota guy. Uh, Nicholas Halloran was a guy who I also noticed uh, watching Colorado College throughout the years, and Trey Bradley. Uh, and then you also had another friend, friend of the program as a coach for I don't know how long he was a coach. Maybe you could speak in greater detail, Tate Maris. So uh, just speak about the relationships you built at Colorado College. Yeah, relationships I still talk to this day. I think uh, we are a personal group. Uh, a lot of different characteristics we loved uh, when it comes to personality types. Uh, there's just an abundance of different personality types uh, that were recruited at, at this school and that team. Uh, and what, that's what made the uh, locker room unique and different every single day. So, you know, I'm very thankful to have great teammates like Mason Berg, Nick Holland, and my entire senior class that I graduated with, and just the entirety of the program. I mean, the fans were awesome. Uh, the players were great people. And at the end of the day, is I have nothing negative to say. So now in this kind of new age of the NCAA, uh, when you guys got you have guys that are that are moving across the country. You, I would imagine, it would probably be one of the first big name transfers into the University of North Dakota. And then also, you being from Cloquet, uh, I'm just wondering what the recruiting process when you entered the, entered the transfer portal was like. Um, I would assume that you had a lot of people that were kind of after you. Obviously, UND was, and then maybe talk about whether Duluth kind of looked at you, go to home, going uh, to play at home. And, uh, and kind of what that process was like, because I think it's unique and it's new to a lot of people who follow college hockey. Yeah, great, great question. I think to start off with is uh, myself entering the transfer portal. It was a decision that I decided on uh, based on my gut. Um, you know, I wanted to win hockey games and I just didn't feel that environment was the right environment to win hockey games. They were bringing in new guys and younger kids and I knew – I had the opportunity to a further my hockey career, but b academic too. So academics is very important to me. And after graduating with a bachelor of arts there, the best opportunity for me to finish my master's in a year and a quarter was at a couple different schools like Boston University, Western Michigan. And then it wasn't going to be a priority at CC just because of the um, longer uh basically stay you have to have in order to complete the master's program, right? There's more accumulated years and it's just a tougher process. So that was a huge decision on uh, going in the transfer portal. And a lot of you guys may know now that I did complete my master's in a year and a quarter, and I'm currently in the doctorate program here at, at UND. So I think that entire process worked out well. Congrats. Congrats, by the way. It's a huge accomplishment. Thank you. Appreciate that. So to get back to the hockey side of it here is going on right away. 
I, I think uh, just talking with different people, especially my dad, who is one of my uh, heroes, I would say a big father figure in my life. Uh, he represents basically what I want to be when I grow up, uh, a, a great human being who's, you know, loves to laugh, smile, help people out and, and, and is passionate about uh, their uh, occupation. So uh, with that being said, my big thing when it came to the transfer portal was I hopped on right away. I had to go talk to my athletic director and then I had a, a meeting with the coaches and that meeting uh, wasn't the greatest obviously because they were losing a player, but end of the day is uh, they were respectful and basically said, yeah, uh, we hope you wish you the best. And then went to my athletic director and then I, the athletic director had to send something into NCAA. I just signed some paperwork and when I had that paperwork signed, I was listed on the graduate transfer portal. Uh, this was a very unique experience at the time, it, the new rules were set in stone where you could be a graduate transfer. And I think this was the first year where it really became big. You know, now people are more and more people every single day in the college athlete uh, portal are, are, are transferring and they don't have to sit out. So it's a pretty awesome thing to have and NCAA is lessening those rules to benefit the student. Yeah, obviously, uh, as much perspective as we have for the Colorado College program, we're uh, very thankful as long as uh, the rest of UND hockey, uh, the fan base, uh, we're very thankful that you came here and you played a crucial part on that team last year. Uh, so let's get into your time at UND a little bit. Um, obviously, last year you uh, helped the team win a Penrose Cup. You played a very crucial part of that team uh, after two years of not making the national tournament uh, it was you played a huge role I mean if the NCAA tournament would have been played uh, UND would have been a one seed uh, so just tell us uh, you mentioned earlier about the heartbreak you had about uh, not being able to compete for a national championship just overall what was the vibe like uh, how did the team accept you when you came to campus and uh, what was the vibe like your first day on campus no to be honest uh, I look back at it and I, I kind of laugh I kind of giggle because Going right into that environment as an older guy, uh, one of the oldest guys in the team, it was it was really different. Uh, thankfully, I knew a few of the seniors before. Like I played with Zach Yon, uh, Ryan Anderson, um, who was a player the year before. I grew up playing with him. Um, I knew Colton Pullman a little bit, and that environment was just a little bit different. So, but I think the beauty of it was this is. I walk in there and I get to work right away. You know, my mentality is to give 110% every single day as much as you can. Obviously, you're going to have on and off days, but if you can look yourself in the mirror and uh, are happy with what you are, then uh, that's an awesome thing. So I kind of go in there and just play me. I'm a hard-nosed, great, skilled player who can play 200 feet both ways and the players didn't like that a lot at first, the first three, four weeks, I don't, I don't think I was liked, but they knew where I was coming from. They knew my personality and they, they started to get to know me more and more how I'm just a hard old on the ice, but off the ice, I'm a big softy. So that was awesome to kind of get, get to know everyone and, you know, make relationships with everyone. And I think that was the key to myself being accepted in that environment and once I was accepting that environment, you know, I was all, all, all steam headed north, as, as I would say, is, you know, everyone loved it. Like, uh, everyone was on the same page. We all got to know each other and we just were hungry, hungry, hungry. And that's, I think that's what led to our success too. So, 
So we mentioned, uh, you know, you grew up in Cloquet, Minnesota, you know, right kind of by Duluth there. Did you always grow up a, a, or a UND hockey fan? Were you always a UND or a UMD growing up? Realistically, honestly, I was a big UMD fan. We had season tickets at the old Deck Arena uh, for you guys who are watching this uh, and listening in. It's an amazing place there. And uh, we were about 10 rows up right behind the goal. And I joke with uh, Carson Coleman, as you remember coming up there, uh, we sk- just because we skated at the deck uh, uh, what, a month ago because of COVID restrictions. So all, we had all the NHL guys up there skating and training. And that was a pretty cool environment to just joke around with uh, one of my best friends and Carson Coleman on, uh, you know, UMD compared to UND. So, you know, last year when you guys went to Duluth and played, then was that, pretty easy game to get up for for you were you pretty fired up for that game um, I can imagine you know playing against a hometown team probably got a bunch of family in the crowd ready to go and I mean you scored a huge goal in that game too I remember um, at Amsoil I mean the place is half half green half maroon and I'm sure it blew up pretty big yeah that was a it was actually one of my most pivotal cocky career moments uh, just because coming from Colorado College I had zero points at the Amsoil Arena through my entire career and my old CC seniors, right? The, the class that I graduated with gave me so much grief for that. And the, they sent me texts and uh, pictures in our group chats of zero points at CC beforehand. And you know, I took it with a grain of salt and I was going to prove them wrong. And, and that's what happened is, you know, I think I had uh, three or four points, a couple of goals uh, both nights. And unfortunately we split with them, but end of the day was, it was a great series for both UND and UMD. UND and UMB, uh, but family, I think that was key is just because I had 40, 50 people there uh, being able to watch myself grow as a person on and off the ice and kind of facilitate that entire atmosphere was just uh, special to me because uh, family means a lot. Yeah, no, I would imagine that had, that has to feel great. I mean, 40 to 50 people, I would imagine they're just uh... – my question to you going off that is uh, what jerseys was, were your family members wearing when they came to support you? It was, it was my timeline path, actually. So my high school jerseys they had, they had my junior jerseys on in Corpus Christi. Then some of them had my CC jerseys on. And then the UND jerseys my parents got. So it was amazing that they, they all sat in one little section and, you know, had a few, uh, well, like I say, kitty cocktails. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I had a great time. So, uh, I mean, at the end of the day is, is they're just happy that uh, I'm happy uh, doing what I love. So, you, I mean, you talked about playing at UMD. That has to be one of the most special places where you went to go and play, obviously, that scoring those goals and playing that series for UND. Um, I want to know, so you had a five-year college hockey career. You have to have a favorite place to go play as, as a road team, right? where either the crowd's getting on you or the building's electric or the city's great. I don't know if you have, I like hearing, you know, road stories if you have one. I was just talking about this the other day and uh, this was an awesome thing uh, just because we were representing this in, in the workout room, but I would have to say Maine and Maine just because of this reason is they have two small little locker rooms for the guest team, right? And one's up top and one's on the bottom um, of the walkway, which is really weird. So you're kind of going this little dungeon down in the corner and we put the defenseman in there just because the, the locker room up top was a little bit bigger, but you go in this dungeon and I remember walking in it a little bit just to go check on, see how the D are doing between a period. And everyone looks at me and, and they're like, Whoa, like <laughs> just because it looked like they were in a prison down there and they like, were all like 
upset or I don't know. They got yelled at by coach and because of the forwards and get yelled at or something like that. And it was hilarious. But the, the, us forwards had a great time up top because, you know, it's kind of always a little rivalry, right? Uh, in that team hockey atmosphere is, you know, you got the, oh, yeah, the defense band, and then, oh, yeah, you forwards, you know. So we kind of jib-jab and back at each other a little bit, and that was an awesome feeling with that. But also the fans, too, um, their student section sits right over the goal of uh, the opposing team. So that would be our team that I played on uh, twice and they're so loud. Like uh, it just mimics throughout that uh, hockey environment and you can drop like a quarter and you can hear someone, uh, you know, a mile away. So that was a pretty cool atmosphere. And then they throw the fish out in the first uh, goal they have and someone wheels out there and, and catches it. And it was kind of, kind of a cool thing. It reminded me of uh, my days playing in Alaska. So I think that environment uh, all in all was just spectacular. Yeah, the fish on the ice. That also reminds me. I went to a game at Baxter. They do at, they do that at Baxter Arena where they're playing right now. I think they throw a fish on the ice and they have a guy go out with a little mini zamboni. But uh, I want to throw this back. I think UND hockey fans are really curious to hear about how motivated the team was last year, the team that you were on and helped lead to a Penrose Cup. Obviously, you guys were thirsty to get back and uh, get back in national championship contention. What was the atmosphere in the locker room and uh, were you guys just motivated the entire year to just bring UND hockey back on the map as a national, you know, the Alabama of college hockey? Yeah, this is a lot of things uh, that people have asked me, coaches, players, of how we had so much success. And I would have to describe it in three different scenarios. Three, I would say one would have to be pitcher having triplets or, or, or four boys that are all you know, the close to the same age, it's just competing and competing every single day to get better, throwing a little jab at each other, uh, picking each other up, picking one brother up on the side, you know, if one brother scolded him or something like that. I think that's how our locker room and our team environment was. Uh, we were very personal towards each other, but at the end of the day, right, is this, is we held each other accountable. Uh, we listened and we wanted to get better every single day, right? Guys were competing for jobs and guys competed hard every single day. And looking back at it, I thought practices were harder than games. And I'm dead serious is just that competitive environment we had in practice to really propel us to intermingle with our personalities um, on and off the ice. And then the, another thing I would have to say is just the, the locker room environment we had every day. Everyone was always, you know, I think one of the biggest starters were Grant Mishmash was always just conversation topics. You know, if it would be something uh, with like some musician, um, some hockey highlight or anything like that, you know, half the team would pick one side, half the team would pick the other. And all of us would just be intermingling in the locker room, just yelling back and forth, having a great time with this uh, conversation type. And I think that was uh, a spectacular reason of why, um, everyone cared deeply for each other and still do to this day. Yeah, I'm going to fast forward to the um, uh, kind of the end of the season a little bit. Uh, obviously, the season got cut short. Uh, it was before you guys had your uh, NCHC uh, first round uh, playoff games. And uh, so what was the atmosphere like? Just walk us through the process of how you guys discovered that your season came to an abrupt end and what the feeling was like in the locker room for you as a senior and the rest of the seniors and just the rest of the team as a whole. Yeah, it was one of the hardest feelings of my life. Uh, it just hit us deep. Uh, I was with uh, a couple of our senior captains, uh, Cole Smith and Colton Pullman, and all of a sudden we got the phone call, and I saw Cole Smith just absolutely 
devastated. And I, he, then he told me the news and I was like, wow, what? Like, I didn't believe it at first. And we all had to go to the rink and the coaches had to tell us that our season was done because of COVID. And that locker room environment just blew up. And um, obviously I think that's just a personal thing with everyone there, but I think it was just the moment that I knew I'm leaving a brotherhood of um, that. I came in, you know, was kind of hard nosed and, uh, and then I softened up uh, throughout the entire year to really having my heart broken at the final moment of saying COVID uh, took away, you know, a national championship for all of us and, and everything else. So, I mean, it was devastating for our entire senior class, obviously. And then the guys who, you know, even their first years. Uh, so it was tough for everyone involved, including fans. Yeah. I mean, that was, I mean, that was, we were devastated as fans. I couldn't imagine how you guys felt as players. Like you guys battled all year physically and mentally. And you finally got UND, you know, we were back on the top after a couple of your downswing there, but I want to talk about this year. I mean, you're still close to some of those boys on the team this year and super high hopes, right? This team is, is really good again, missing some of their leaders, but um, how, I want to talk about the Baxter bubble, you know, the pod they're in right now. And how would, how do you think they're, they're handling that? I'm sure you're still talking to some of them, but that's gotta be tough playing games you know every other night or even back-to-back nights against highly competitive opponents and still not being able to really go anywhere I mean these these guys are just locked down in the hotel I wonder if you have any insight on that yeah that the Warriors uh first off I think uh the coach had prepared them very well uh with Mark Pullman to to get them in sh- the, the right shape and they do take care of their bodies of professionals uh, when it comes to that aspect in a college environment uh, and they have all the, the necessary tools to succeed. So I think personally, it's, it's just keeping that mindset uh, up high, um, no matter what the situation, you know, if you lose a game, if you tie a game, or if you win a game, it's, it's focusing on what's happening in that day, right? And if you do have an off day, it's, it, it's staying together as a team, uh, working on things that need to be worked on and having fun. Uh, like you see the articles from Brad Schlossman as they're playing pool. And I know, deep down that they're just sitting in that environment, just going at each other, you know, in a good, in a good positive way of, Oh, you can't hit this shot. You're going to hit the eight ball and things like that. So I think that brings up that team camaraderie and it's great environment to have them bond together for a month to hopefully come out of there uh, with very high uh, mental attitudes and, and capacities to, you know, win a national championship this year. Yeah, for sure. We're all hoping that they can chase nine and uh, get the title that you guys missed out on last year. Right. And I would hope that uh, you're mentioned and uh, you get, you're given credit, right. Cause you helped develop a lot of these players uh, in practice and throughout the games and you kind of showed them the way of how the college game goes, but I kind of want to move this conversation and kind of uh, let the fan, let the listeners know uh, what it's like your relationship with the program here. So uh, I remember last summer, you, Tyler, and I went golfing, and uh, we kind of had a decent round. And I just want you to let the fans know uh, what our golf games are like. I mean, you're, you made it known straightforward that uh, you said hockey wasn't your best sport, right? I remember you saying that baseball was your best sport, and then you were a really good golfer. Uh, kind of just go throughout, A, your baseball career, and then B, also uh, tell us what you remember about that day on the course. Before we teed off, we were in the parking lot, right? And Weston goes, yeah, just let you guys know, I'm not a great golfer, right? I'm not a great golfer. Dude goes out there and he shoots like, what, 40? Like, you were like a four over on nine holes. I'm like, come on, man. What can't you do? Oh, 
Uh, it was it was a great day then just because <laughs> I know I'm not a great golfer. You know, if you have to look to anyone on the team currently now, it would have to be Gabe Bass. That guy can shoot three, four under easily on any given day. So I take a, I got to take lessons from him. But I obviously, I think uh, it was a great bonding time for all, all three of us. Uh, it's just my personality getting out, meeting new people in the community, uh, just because I'm very thankful that we have a lot of people like you, you three and, and our, our fans supporting us. And to me, it means a lot to get out, see other different personalities, get to know people and just kind of feel their vibes and where they're at in life and just have a great time. You know, it puts a big smile on my face uh, to come out and enjoy life, not being a hockey player, you know, that this is my fun time. So that's what I really did have a great time about your guys' golf game. Wow. Huh? But we really all have to work on our games. I think. <laughs> if I'm being honest here. I think I'm going to have to get you guys all those colored balls. You three, pink, orange, yellow, and I can get some blue or something. So we can all track our balls going down the fairway. But, yeah, anyways, but it was a great time. Yeah, I think uh, you won't need those colored balls. I don't think you missed a fairway all day. But I do recall, um, I don't know, we were probably at fourth hole or whatever. I gave you a little putting lesson. I don't think you three-putted the rest of the round. So I like to take credit for that you know, your personal best round, but I think we should um, kind of wrap things up here with a bit of a speed round. What do you say? A little speed round, kind of uh, quick questions. So um, my first question, who's your favorite teammate you play with? Uh, Cole Smith, just because uh, him and I were just like the dynamic duo and we just always had a great time with each other just because uh, everyone else in the house had girlfriends and it was just me and Cole always doing something. And my, my speed question is, obviously, you played at Colorado College and UND. When they play each other now, what team do you find yourself rooting for? Well, I am going to have to answer this question truthfully. And it's going to be UND just because of the relationships I've formed here in the last year and a half. And I've been around these guys all summer. That is the reason why I choose to root UND over CC now is just because of uh, watching these guys grow up uh, throughout the years, throughout the year and a half, I would have to say is, is, is special to me to watch them uh, go in and perform. So uh, I guess my last question um, would be, you know, what are you up to now? You know, you're, you're uh, you know, trying to get, make an NHL team there up in Winnipeg. You're playing for the Manitoba Moose currently, you know, you're, you're in Grand Forks right now. So, you know, you're training every day and, going to school so just tell tell the fans what you're up to every day yeah so get up work out skate uh, do some school work and when I'm back home I do visit my grandparents a lot uh, they're, they're very important people to me in my life and I'm very well connected with family and I'm big into cribbage so grandma and I go out and in cribbage <laughs> And let me tell you, these games are intense. Uh, there's a few uh, swear words coming at my way from her just because I'm a very lucky person, according to her. But it's just an awesome time to uh, uh, put smiles on my face uh, with my grandparents. And just to hear their life stories is uh, um, through cribbage is, is what I actually do love, love doing in my, uh, at my free time. Yeah, I think that'll wrap it up for uh... – I got one more. I got my last, last, last question, I promise. So before, before we close up, I want to know what your favorite game was at the Ralph, like your favorite home game that you played at the Ralph. If you could pick one moment or one game where you're like, okay, this place is special. 
Oh, easily. The easy question to answer here, and it would have to be the NCHC when we won the Penrose Cup yeah. versus Western yeah. Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the place was absolutely electric. And let me tell you, it was electric just because when Shane Pinto scored that overtime winner, I've never heard louder uh, noises in my entire career playing the sport. And all the boys in the huddle listening to, to the, the goal song, which is unbelievable, pumping our fists and and just looking around after that and seeing how happy and how loud that place was at the Ralph Ingleset Arena was just a, a moment I will never forget. And I still have chills right now talking about it just because <laughs> it was special. I'm sure it's a moment you'll never forget, but also when I was at that game, I couldn't find a seat. So I was bumping, I was walking from seat to seat. I remember that I sat in like eight different seats during that game. When Pinto scored that goal, I was sitting on one of the steps leading down to <laughs> leading down to the bowl there. And um, I mean, it was, it was one of the most electric atmospheres. I mean, I've ever witnessed in my entire life. So, I mean, we really appreciate you coming on, man. And I mean, I'm sure the fans are going to enjoy this one. Yeah. Oh, and oh, first off. Oh, what a night that was. Let me tell you, <laughs> but I, uh, I do appreciate you guys for having me on here. Um, and having this conversation is, you know, puts a big smile on my face just to, to hear how passionate uh, North Dakota is with their hockey. So I appreciate uh, you three and wish you the best year in the future. Yeah. And I think we speak for uh, all of the UND hockey fan base when we wish you the best of luck in your pro career and your professional career. And uh, we, we're going to be rooting for you. I mean, uh, you're an alumni of the show now and uh, hopefully we can have you on some other time too. Uh, once you uh, step into your pro career and you can kind of tell some stories about uh, what it's like to play professional. Perfect. That sounds awesome. Thanks, guys. All right. Thanks, Thank for, thanks for coming on, Weston. All right. It was great having Weston on. Uh, it was our first in-person interview. I feel like uh, you listeners might be able to sense that uh, the nerves were definitely present, but I thought we pulled through, had a great conversation with him. Uh, we're recording this last segment here after a electric USA win over Finland. We're kind of down bad right now. Another UND hockey series has been postponed against Omaha. That makes it so the next game is not until January 15th in Denver for the Fighting Hawks. So uh, the USA-Finland game, it was an electrifying game. Just a little recap of the goals for USA. Turcotte got, the, got it started, Farinacci and Boldy, and then uh, Kaliev got the game winner after Finland came back and tied it up uh, at 3-3. Uh, Kaliev got the game winner to put it at 4-3. Fuchs, what do you think? What a hockey game. What an absolute hockey game. I mean, honestly, I think that uh, Finland kind of outplayed the U.S. there. Definitely. Def they outshot us. They outplayed us. But uh, it was just – it was kind of a ride. It was an emotional roller coaster of a hockey game. Like Kaliev, he's – that was a rocket of a shot. That was sick. Not to mention that uh, our boy Jake Sanderson got the assist on that goal. So he's kind of helping in with the hero. I was kind of thinking of, like, that big goal – kind of throws me back to the world junior last year when another UND defenseman had an assist on a big goal. That one was for team Canada, who we are now very anti-Canadian podcast for at least the next uh, 24 to 48 hours, depending on the results. So, but uh, no, the world juniors, it's electric. I'm riding a hockey high. Just watch the, the banner be raised and hopefully we can see that tomorrow as well. Yeah. It sets up a great matchup, terrific rivalry in international hockey, USA and Canada. Um, uh, my prediction, if USA plays like they did tonight, I mean, the listeners, this podcast will be released uh, tomorrow, the day of uh, the matchup between USA and Canada. So we're going to offer our predictions right now. Uh, 
I think Canada's going to win by a two-goal margin. If USA comes in uh, and plays like they did tonight against a spirited Finland team, who really uh, you could tell was playing with heart. Finland's uh, always Can- good, too. They're always Canada- disgusting. Yeah, with that being said, I think Canada's just a really talented team. Uh, Spencer Knight has the ability to uh, kind of keep the U.S. in any game, you know, regardless of the skill differential. But I would like to see all forward lines being deployed a little bit more. Uh, depth is going to have to be a factor. You can't just roll out two lines and expect to play with Canada uh, for three periods. So I think Canada's going to win with a two-goal margin, but I definitely hope that the uh, U.S. is going to win the gold medal. I'm going to be very patriotic and say that uh... – the U.S. is going to win. They need to play a lot better than they did tonight. Obviously, they were kind of slow. They kind of got worked, got out hustled, and obviously Canada's, they got 20 first-round draft picks. Their entire team is going to be sick in the NHL at some point. So, But, yeah, no, I think the USA is going to win. I, I'm looking for a big game out of, out of Jake Sanderson tomorrow. Kind of hoping that uh, our boy Tyler Clevin also can crack that lineup. USA plays well with 8D. I'd like to see them do that again. And I don't know. It's just it's going to be a tremendous hockey game, especially since we're starving with no – no soup puck. Yeah, we look we look forward to it. Uh, for sure, this is a great episode. We know you Sulis are going to enjoy it. Uh, maybe let's end it, Fuchs. Just uh, plug this socials and then uh, just let's remind them that we love them. Yeah, one thing uh, I, we did forget to mention in the interview with Weston, he told us that he was going to get his doctorate. But I think it's also worth noting that we uh, after the interview, we had a conversation with him. And we believe that he will be the first professional athlete in the U.S. to be playing a sport with a doctorate so a uh, shout out to Weston for that we love him uh the UND campus loves him the UND hockey world loves him so uh but yeah follow us on Instagram at Sue Light follow us on Twitter at Sue Light uh give us a listen tell your friends tell your grandma uh let's get this pod rolling we got some pretty interesting guests on tap for our, for our future episodes that we think that everybody's gonna love we're super excited and uh we love you guys see you later right, see ya.